All right, Successfully Chaotic here with Maria Daniels, and I have a guest today, Robin Kale, who also is the mama of what probably feels like about a million kids. <laughs> Say hi, <Yeah>. Robin. <laughs> hi, how are you? Doing good. So, okay, so you have five kids, right? Is that what you told me? Yes, five girls. Five girls. Wow. So, okay. You just went, yeah, I have seven kids, but I only have four girls. And I feel like a lot of people think that uh, boys are harder than girls, but I think girls are harder than boys. I'm the opposite of that. In my house, anyway, my girls are like their mother. They're mouthy and opinionated and really give it to me. So I, I can even imagine having one extra girl around there. I don't think it would work out. <laughs> How old are your I girls? On the boy side, but we have a lot of drama. That's what I found. And my boys are wild. Don't get me wrong. They're into everything all the time, but it, I don't get as much attitude. It's the, it's the drama and the attitude from the girls that are doing me in, but how, how old, what's the age range on your kids? Our youngest is one and the oldest is 12. Okay. All right. So you, you're just now starting to get into the, like the teen years. So you're in for it. Yeah. in for it. And our yeah. oldest one, she's usually the better one. So I'm really nervous about the rest. <laughs> yeah, it's my oldest one was not. I know a lot of people um, always talk about how like their oldest child was the good one. And then the second one came along with the horns popped out and was terrible. It was actually the opposite for me. My oldest one was so hard and just needed me all the time and into everything and attitude from the time that she was born. And when I was fine, I found out I was pregnant with my second one. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this again. But then the second one was so easy. She was laid back and chill and it's funny because it's, it just shows you how different kids can be. All of mine are so different, which my oldest mm-hmm. one's 21. So, and my youngest one's three. So I've got like the full gamut going on. But yeah, the teenage years, just hold on, mama. That's all I got to say about that. I think so, our worst one is number four. Um, she is so bad. We give her a thug name. Oh, yeah. Her name is Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Good stuff. Yeah, my three year old is full of drama and full of attitude and sassy as can be. But I've always just chalked it up to the fact that she has so many older siblings. And, you know, she's, I mean, she's drama and attitude. And just, she'll tell you and she'll go, I'm in charge today. Mom said, I'm in charge today. You know, just in the older (laughs) kid's face, you know, it's funny. It's so funny. So before we went on air, we were talking about how much we had in common of growing up kind of in a, a poor, you know, rural area. And I want you to kind of talk about um, your experience because I'm a firm believer that, you know, obviously the way that we're raised and where we grow up very, it very much shapes how our life is, especially at the beginning. You know, um, it, a lot of times we kind of fall into these stereotypes of what other people feel our life should look like and other people, you know, feel our steps should be. And it isn't until much later on that we realized that a lot of the steps that we've taken wasn't kind of our own decision as much as it was what everybody else expected us to do, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I grew up in a very rural community. It was, you were pretty big if you made it in fast food. If you were, you know, an assistant manager, a general manager, there was a couple manufacturing in the area, but it's predominantly um fathers, males that are in manufacturing in that area. So my mom, she just, she pressed upon us when we were younger. It's very important to go get your education. Even if you're not going to use your education, it's something that nobody can take from you. And 
every single one of us went to school and I have, I also have a large family. I have three sisters. (laughs) So um, we all went to school and it was very important to us to do that. And after I went to school, it was like this, I don't think that this living in the farm life is for me, not living necessarily just in farm life, but just being a wife and having children. I do have a large family, obviously, still, and I love my farm life, but having children and just staying home just wasn't for me. So I continued my education and I went into manufacturing and in HR, human resources, because that is something where you can make a difference and it's the most accepted profession for a female in manufacturing. So, and that's currently where you work now. You work HR for a manufacturing company. Do you still live yeah, in the same I work area? In human resources. Are you still in the same general area where you grew up or you in a different? Not at all. So I'm actually um, maybe about three hours away from where I grew up. Okay. And I work in a bigger city now. Okay. So you kind of went polar opposite. It's funny. Like I, I, I like to ask those questions because I like to see how people's lives take them. Um, a lot of people end up kind of going full, full circle and kind of ended up coming back to where they came from anyway. Um, but I like the idea that you said that you didn't want to go with the stereotypes that, you know, that women that have a lot of kids are just supposed to stay home. And I, I know as a mom of a lot of kids, I've had that stereotype pressed upon me um, time and time again, almost to the fact of having me question am I doing the right thing? Maybe I should be doing this, you know? And I don't know if you ever fell into that or not, but I know I've always had this pull and this drive to do something more. Not that I don't love being a wife and a mother. I do, but I've always felt like I had other things to give the world and to give myself other than just staying at home and cooking and cleaning and, you know, dealing with the kids all the time. I wanted to do something else. And there's nothing wrong for the people that want to do that. I have a lot of friends that that is, that is their jam. They love it. They want to do it all day long. And that's great. That's just, I've always had this drive. The times that I have stayed home and there's been times I have, I've always felt like I was missing something. I need, there was something missing. I needed to do something else. And I feel like for me, balancing being at home with the kids and being able to do something um, professionally that I enjoy, I feel makes me a better mother and a better wife. Because when I've, when I was we just have saying, this discussion yeah. literally every week, me and my husband do, because I'm like, Maybe, maybe I should stay home, especially we just moved and um, my commute is an hour and 20 minutes because like you said, we do want to go back to our roots. We live on a farm again. Yep. (laughs) So, because that's just what we love, but I drive an hour and 20 to work. And when we moved and we went to the new school and a bus didn't show up and there was no text message out and my kids are waiting and they're calling and I'm like, oh my gosh, do I really need this job? Yeah. It's just the stress. (laughs) It's the balancing. Yeah, it's it's a constant conversation that we're having of what do we do? Is, is it really necessary for me to work outside the home? But for my well-being, yes, it is. <laughs> I, I am, and I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. And I think a lot of times women are pressed upon to give up their career, to give up, you know, their life outside of motherhood and being a wife in the home. Um, but it seems like the guys you know, not, I'm not like knocking on the guys, but it seems like the guys don't get that same pressure. Um, and I know I've, I've found it even, you know, before COVID I was traveling a lot, doing speaking engagements and such. And, you know, if I was going to be gone for the weekend for three or four days, I would get, Oh, what about the kids? You know, 
what about the kids? But my husband would be caught out for three, four weeks because he's in alignment. And it'd be like, oh, he's such a great provider. And I'm like, okay, well, where's the balance in that? How come I can be gone for three days? And it's everybody acts like that's just like the worst thing ever. And he's gone for weeks and he's a great provider. There's still that inequality that a lot of us fall into, I think, stereotypically. And I think that is not for every person you know, um, to stay at home, you know, it's not for every woman to stay home. It's not for every man to work outside of the house. I think that we need to kind of take a step back from these stereotypes of, you know, the women stay at home barefoot and pregnant and just take care of the house and cook and clean all day. And, you know, the men are supposed to be working for some families. I know some families that, you know, the, the dad stays home because he, you know, feels the need to stay home and he does a little bit of, you know, uh, freelance work on the side. And then, you know, the mom has a job you know, in the city, like you said, about an hour away. And for their family, that's what balances out and works out the best. And I think that's, that's the way that it should be. We should all balance our families the way that we feel fit without kind of gender specific, you know, kind of roles being forced into. And I still think that, I think it's getting better than it used to be, but I still think it's a very real, you know, issue that we're still kind of up against. I think it really depends on the area that you're in too. So like we're in the Bible belt and it's very, very important that the mom is taking on, you know, these responsibilities. My husband is very similar to yours. He's maybe home nine, 10 o'clock at night sometimes, especially if he's out working in a service truck or something, but it's like, no questions asked. This ha- Last night I was mowing our lawn, five kids running around the yard. His sister shows up. Nobody asks where he's at, but if I'm not home, everybody's <laughs> like, where is she? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, that's that's what I was saying is I was like, yeah, there's still that inequality. And I, I try to take a deep breath and take a step back and say, okay, you know, that's just like, they're normal. And we're, we're in the Bible belt too. And very rural area, very, for the most part, very stereotypical, you know, gender roles here. Um, There are a few, you know, exceptions, but I'm definitely an exception and um, it definitely ruffles some feathers and, you know, raises some eyebrows of, and I get a whole lot of, well, I mean, if, if, are you not happy staying at home? Well, it's not that I'm not happy staying at home. I just want to do other things too. You know, I like the balance because I mean, for me personally, if I'm gone too much, I don't like that either. But if I'm home too much, I also don't like that. I have to have, you know, that balance of feeling like I'm doing something for myself, for my hopes and dreams, for, you know, my professional goals. I have, I have to have that to feel like I'm balanced but I also have to be able to feel like I'm showing up for my children because I know there's been times within my life where, and I always explain it that, you know, balancing your work-life balance is almost like a giant balloon game. Like a lot of people think it's like this balance that, you know, it's just going to end up 50, 50, but really it's just trying to keep all the balloons up in the air and keep them from hitting the ground. And sometimes, you know, your personal life does take more. There may be, you know, a time in your life where like when you have newborns, when I had newborns, obviously my personal life took way more than my professional life. My professional life was on the back burner, you know, and, and that's fine because during that moment, that was what was more important. I think for me, my balance is the freedom to be able to choose. Okay. Well, I'm only working two days a week right now. And that's actually what I am doing. I'm working two days a week right now because for right now, that's what's working best for my life. Cause I've got kids homeschooling and you know, it's just to try to balance our life out two days a week is about all I can give, but I can't give up the two days because I would go insane and I would take everybody with me. <laughs> so. so I've actually, I've never had the luxury to stay home with my, any of the kids. When I was younger, 
you know, I thought that that is what I want to do. I thought I want to be at home. I'll go get my education, like my mom said, and I want to be at home. And I was married. I got married fairly young, and I was like, you know, I thought he should go to work and I should stay at home. And it was hard. I never stayed home because we never had the money. It was always a struggle. You know, he job hopped a lot. Um, later on in life, we found out that he was bipolar, and it was. It was a lot of chaos and chaotic stuff, but by the time that I divorced him and then remarried and had two more kids with my current husband, it was like, I was too far gone in my career <laughs> to be like, I think I'm going to stay home. I didn't wasted too much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know, um, I was married before also that, I mean, that brings up a whole nother, um, issue. I know whenever I ended up getting divorced, I was very frowned upon that I got divorced because you just didn't get divorced in my family. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing you did. You just, you worked, you always worked it out. And I think, I mean, it's great when you can't work it out. I've seen couples be able to work it out. It's amazing. It is an extra hurdle when you're dealing with um, mental health issues. And I can't even imagine I've never been bipolar and I've, but I do have friends that are bipolar and I know, um, and, and a family member. And I know the struggles that they've gone through. And I feel for the people that struggle with the mental illness, but also feel for their loved ones, because it's really hard when you love somebody that's dealing with those mental health issues to, you know, kind of put up with the day to day of that. I mean, it is, I can't even imagine that. Absolutely. So, and you, I, I wish him 100% the best in anything that he does, but yeah. it's, he just couldn't stay on the medication and stuff, unfortunately. Well, and sometimes, and I've said this before, I, sometimes we have to make decisions. You can love somebody and you can want what's best for them and still realize that you can't keep yourself in that place. You know, you can't stay in that place because you're not helping them. They're definitely not helping you. And sometimes you have to make that decision to step away and love them from afar. And, you know, that's not easy. And that's also something that is stereotypically not understood, you know, because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you left them. They were having mental health issues. It's not their fault. Well, it's not their fault. It's not that anybody ever said that was their fault. It's just saying that you can't keep putting yourself into, you know, predicaments to where it's bringing you down, you know, and I've, I've, I've worked with people that have come out of, you know, relationships like, like that. And it's hard, you know, there's no perfect decision. And I think that's very much a part of life though, is that, you know, sometimes there's no clear indicator of a perfect decision. Sometimes it's triaging the situation and saying, yes, I love him. Yes. I want what's best for him, but I'm losing myself in the process of staying here. So and you can't lose Absolutely. yourself. So, okay. Well, let's, I, you were mentioning that you are currently working um, at still in human resources for a manufacturing company kind of talking about stereotypical roles, um, females are not very prevalent in the manufacturing world. Is that something that you've found with the company that you work in? It is. So the owners and of the company, they're amazing, accepting. You know, if I have to be off, no problem. But what you find out on the workforce, out on the floor, it's not so accepted. Yeah. <laughs> So you ended up with um, a lot of combating with, you know, people out on the floor of them. Well, if you want to talk to me, you need to come in. If um, you want to get this taken care of, you need to be here. Human resources doesn't necessarily have to be on location 24-7. So before I came to this company, 
I was human resources remotely. And I did it every day remotely, you know, speaking with employees, um, handling employee engagement issues, just like different kind of stuff. You know, you have your HRISs that are all on the cloud base, things like that. So you don't necessarily have to be there. You can zoom in if you have meetings, you know, different things. But for this particular facility, it's important to them that we're in 1950, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) To everybody, everybody be there on, on campus. Yeah, I get that. There's a lot of companies that are like that, which I feel like um, COVID has changed that for a lot of companies where they were kind of forced to have to think outside of the box on it. And then they figured out that um, it was working. <laughs> but then I still think there's some companies that didn't know what to do with that information. You know, they were like, wait, it's still working like this, but they're so used to, people get so used to how things have always been that I think they kind of, are afraid to take that step to change, you know, change is one of the things. And I think that's where we're currently at as an employer is we don't want to accept that. And our owners do, they do 100%. We just have the other half. that's like, no, I don't want to do that. I actually took off during the original, you know, closures and things like that during COVID. I I mean, I wasn't off. I was working from home and it was Mm -hmm. a struggle. It was a nightmare because we had e-learning going on the day that we went on e-learning. Um, I took off. And then the day that we went off of e-learning, I was back in office. But it was just, it was a nightmare trying to do the e-learning, answer these phone calls, be on management meetings. You know, it's not, um, when you're in a C-suite level, you're not just, you know, doing your work and then going about your day. A lot of times it's making very large decisions for the company and directing them, what direction do we go during COVID? So it was just a massive struggle because there was meeting after meeting after meeting. And I understand at that point where they're saying, hey, maybe you need to be on site because that was a struggle, the e-learning with it. Oh, I, I agree. And I, I, I like the freedom that I can choose where I work. I don't think I would like having to be at a specific place, but I've been the one from the, even before COVID that, you know, people will be like, it's a work from home opportunity. I'm like, why is that a good thing? I don't exactly. want to work from home. I, it's terrible. It's like you, you get interrupted every 5.2 seconds. You know, people are like screaming and killing each other in the background. It's, I do not like the idea of work from home. It is to me, it's like one of those fairy tales. It sounds amazing until you actually do it. And then you're like, I'm getting nothing done. I'm pulling my hair out. I have, I've been here for eight hours and I have like, 10 minutes worth of work done and the kids have beat each other up. My house has been hit. I mean, that's literally work from home at my house. And I like, look at these pictures and stuff of these people work from, just work from home and they're holding their kid and they're both clean. You know, they're not like, they don't look like they stuck their finger on a light socket. Like I always look like when I'm working from home, you know, I like, they actually showered that day. They fixed their hair. They have on makeup. I'm like, what are these people on? I want some of that because that is not my work from home experience. My work from home experience looks much different. And to the point that this was before COVID, but I was taking pictures when I was working from home, me sitting on my bed, not made in my clothes I've had on for a day and a half with my kid screaming and crying beside me because she wants to push the buttons on my computer. I mean, that's my work from home life. You know what I mean? That it's not what you see. And I tell people when they see this, they're like, we can work from home. That's great. If that's your jam, but don't quit your job and sign up to work from home until you have tried it out first, because (laughs) that is not for, I have an office that I got to come to on my own because I can't focus there. 
you know, I like the idea that I can take my laptop and if I have a few minutes in the evening, I can, you know, type some emails or do whatever, but super focus work, not happening. It's just not happening. So I couldn't do that either. And even when this started happening, we were talking about this prior to the COVID that started my husband and I. So since we had a large, we have a large family and we had a smaller home, I had zero space. We actually took a shed and converted it to a home office. Like we went and bought a prefab shed, converted it to a home office and barely got it electric and everything ran to it when COVID hit. And I'm the same way. I'm like, no, it looks like a bomb went off in the house. My husband comes home and he's like, well, what did you do all day? Because oh, that's like, that is the statement that is like, you want to die, don't you? That's, yes. <laughs> that's the death sentence statement. My husband used to say that he doesn't anymore. So. I actually, um, during COVID, this is so funny. I posted this picture because the kids would not stop arguing. It was a constant argument. I was out in my home office shed thing, and it has these double doors on it that you could see the double doors on the back of our house from there. They were arguing, and they wouldn't stop. So I made a kid stand in the middle of the yard in between the office and the house. I'm like, that is the corner now where I can watch you. I like it. (laughs) And you can't argue. Yep. Yeah, that's, I mean, sometimes you have to come up with those outside of the box. I've had to do that stuff too. It's just, it's, and it's funny because having a lot of kids, you think at some point in time, it would just like, there would be a light bulb that comes on. You have it figured out, but that's never happened. It's all my kids are so different. Um, It's always just when I think I have them figured out, my life figured out, my household figured out, my, you know, how to balance everything. It's like, boom, something else happened. It's like, here we go again. You know, it's just that you, it's, and I figured that out, you know, the older I get and the more times I've gone through that, that that's just part of the journey. It's part of the journey that just when you think that, you know, you can kind of breathe and it's okay. Now it's all like settled and you've got to figure it out. Well, then, you know, this one over here starts puberty also. And they are just off on a tangent and you're not ready for that. And I mean, that's been me. It's, I have an 11 year old autistic and he's high functioning, but he's, he's uh, autistic and he's 11. So he's just starting in that kind of tween phase. And I have been through teenagers multiple times at this point. Um, I have my older four are 21, 20, 18 and 15. So they've, you know, I've kind of been in the full gamut of that going on for a while, but I have never dealt with autism with teenage years. And I'm petrified, petrified because I'm like, what does this look like? <laughs> Cause it's not fun without autism on, you know, added to it. I cannot even imagine like what we're getting ready to go through. And I've already started to see the little signs, uh, like the little bit of the chip on the shoulder, the attitude. And I'm like, Oh my Lord, I don't even know how I'm going to. So yeah, that's, if any of you listeners have any advice on um, parenting autistic Teenagers, please, please reach out and help a sister out because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on the struggle bus, I feel. So, okay, well, let's, let's kind of rewind. We got off, off topic, which I tend to do a lot, but let's go back to talking about, um, so you're in HR, you're in manufacturing, and I know before we went on air, you were talking to me about your goal to start consulting and that you're currently coaching. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about why you wanted to start something like that, what you're doing now with your coaching and kind of your goals? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out my career in HR just as a basic admin. And then once I made it to a bigger facility, they were huge on Sherpa coaching. And I was always one of these people that I see black and white. HR is ruled by a lot of regulations, laws, things like that. So to me, it was, you will do it this way. And this is how this is going to go. 
because this is what the government says, but HR has really got a lot of gray area. <laughs> and it's just not all spelled out for you all the time. So I ended up going through the Sherpa coaching with them. And like I said, I was remote at that company as well at all my facilities. I went to a facility every day, but I was remote to my other facilities. And um, that just, it drew me, drove me to be, uh, you know, I, I don't like being in one place every day. I don't like coming to the same thing, seeing the same people, dealing with the same stuff. And I also realized there's all these small businesses out there that really do need your help because they don't know. They're trying to wing it because they're starting out and they're thinking, how much can I possibly get into with this? And yeah. it's not that big of a deal, but it is. So when I was with that company, I was like, I realized that I am a consultant for them because I go to all these different subsidiaries and the main company and I tell them, you know, here's how I see things, but this isn't my company. This is your company. You do what you want. I will support you in whatever you're doing. Right, wrong, indifferent, doesn't matter. I'm going to have to support it anyways, legally, how to back it and stuff like that. But that's where I realized that consulting was something that I wanted to do. And then when I went through the coaching, I realized that this is important to people, coaching them and, you know, touching on things like this that people don't really see in the workplace anymore. Because right now, you just have people that they don't show up on time, you know, they don't really care. And the managers don't walk around saying anything to them. It's just you're expected to show up and do your job. And we don't have a lot of soft skills going on because that's just kind of how we were trained you know, coming up is that you just show up and do your job and there's not a lot of soft skills. So when you have this new generation coming in that they require these soft skills, they want their hand held, they want to be told you're doing a great job. And then you have all these people that don't have those. It's a problem. It's a problem for that. It's a problem with um, morale, you know, turnover, things like that. So a lot of that brought me into that. Um, we had some issues at our subsidiary where I'm currently at. So I started coaching a manager out there. I said, let me, let me try it. And it went great. It's starting, we're seeing a huge difference in it. And that's really what's pushed me to be like, this is what I want to do. I, I want to be on my own. I want to help people. I want to help businesses because really you're just a consultant if you're in HR, no matter what. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head where you said that, you know, a lot of people see everything as black and white, but it's actually gray. And actually, I'm a firm believer that life is pretty much gray <laughs> because, you know, we all see things on a perspective level. And, you know, the way that we were raised, our experiences up to that point, you know, everything kind of feeds in to give us our own perspective. And sometimes when you're dealing with facilities, especially where there's multiple employees, multiple leadership teams, you know, that can get kind of junky because you have all these perspectives, you know, coming into to play. And then you have, um, you know, obviously levels of authority. And if you have somebody on a lower level authority, uh, and somebody on a higher level authority that have completely polar opposite, you know, views on things just perspectively, you know, that can lead to a lot of dysfunction when if they were to employ some of these, like you said, soft skills to try to figure out, okay, I'm always the person to say, well, why, you know, if you think a certain way, if you don't, if you're late every day, well, why, why are you late every day? Most people aren't late just because they're late. You know, there's something going on. What's going on in your personal life? You know, maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're late because they're, you know, wearing 15 hats at home. And, you know, you, don't, you never know what somebody's personal life looks like. And I think it's super important to dig back to the why. If they're late every day, why? If they're, 
you know, given half-ass, excuse my language, but half-ass effort every day, there's usually a why to that. They usually feel underappreciated or maybe, you know, they're in depression because they're getting divorced or you never know if you dig back to try to find out why. And I think, you know, coming from a coaching level, you know, working with these people, simply asking these questions of why can go so far because, you know, I've worked for people before and, you know, a lot of times you feel like they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. All they're worried about is you coming in, clocking in, doing your job, whatever. So if you feel like you're not appreciated, you may do your job, but most of the time you won't do anything extra than what's expected of you. If you feel like you're not appreciated. However, if somebody feels appreciated, most of the time they give above and beyond because that appreciation level is there. And it doesn't take a lot to show appreciation. It's, you know, honestly caring instead of, you know, reaming somebody because they've been late, you know, three days this week, care about why, you know, talk to them and ask them why. And I think that goes so far. So what I see in the workplace now is everybody that's my age, they had were sold on soft skills. They went into college, they did all this stuff, but the managers right now, they were promoted on hard work. So everybody that's, you know, 40, 50 years old, they were promoted through on this hard work and they don't have that. So when you have somebody that's showing up every day that's late, the manager's not asking why. Yep. They're saying, get rid of them. Yep. It, when they really could have some type of issue with, you know, mental issues going on or depression, which is a mental issue too, but yeah. <laughs> you know, they have this stuff going on that we could fix. They could be a good employee later on in life. Yeah. And, and even if they felt like they were being appreciated, because when, if their whole personal life is falling apart, if they, if their workplace becomes their solitude, becomes the place that does understand, you probably usually end up with a very good employee. Because at that point, you know, if somebody has, is showing that they care, somebody is showing that they understand, you know, that goes a long way. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've seen amazing employees be terrible employees because their way, the way they're treated. And I've seen people that originally were terrible employees. Once they get that feeling that they're being understood and they're given maybe the little bit extra training that they didn't, that they needed, that they haven't got to that point, they become amazing, amazing employees. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head when you were saying that a lot of, you know, the older generation is, you know, work hard or go home. And I'm a big, you know, believer in working hard, but also I believe more in working smart because I think that, you know, society tells us that, you know, we need to work, you know, you know, eight to four or nine to five or whatever, but not every position takes, you know, that amount of time to do. We've, we, so most of the time people are just doing busy work. Well, what does busy work do? You know, I think if we was to actually, this is kind of getting out there to where I'm trying to like break down all society. But (laughs) I think if we was to get to the point of saying, okay, well, this is the job. And if you get this job completed in four hours, go home. You still get paid for your, your same amount of time. But I think what ends up happening is it's, it's kind of the Parkinson's law. I don't know if you've ever looked that up before, but if, if you give yourself a deadline of two weeks to get something done, Parkinson's law say it's going to take you two weeks to do it. But, and most people have found that if you're under a crunch, if something happens and something comes up and you have a strict deadline, well, somehow you magically can get it done in 24 hours when usually it takes you two weeks. Well, why is that? It's because Parkinson's law says it's going to take as long as you give it to take. And the same thing with financially, you think about like people that start these businesses that has, have this like 
huge working capital to work from. Well, that's how much it's going to cost them to start their business. But, you know, other people that are having to, you know, just go with bare bones and they're having to just, you know, do it as they go along. They're also able to start amazing businesses, but they have to be really cautious on how they're spending their money. And I think if we start to kind of think about these things from a higher level and instead of, again, stereotyping people, we start to think about, well, let's look at this person as an actual individual. What makes them tick? How do they think? What are their superpowers? What are their weaknesses? You know, and really start to hone in on that. That is how you end up with amazing employees. You can't take a square peg and shove it into a round hole. It's never going to fit. I think a lot of this ties back into training, even when we were younger, to be honest, because my generation, we were trained to think like this. We're trained to think that we need an SOP. We, we need the directions to do this. We need to do, I mean, even if you go to Ikea, you get directions today. Yeah. You know? So all this stuff we were trained around, whereas all these other people, they were like, no, we just showed up and did it. And yeah. no one bridged that gap to help them think that, hey, we have to train these people differently. So yeah, you're right. It's kind of similar to that. We're trained to think, okay, we look at this and we can figure out how to get it done faster. But this generation says, nope, it's a two-week thing. We're not going to look at any different. And that's just what we're going to do. <laughs> yep. And that can be hard. And I think that's why, you know, coming up with coaching programs that involves leadership trainings, I think are huge because, and I've gone into companies and it's, it's really hard to go to the leadership and I've had to do it where you say, here's where I think the problem is starting. I think the problem is starting from the leadership team and trickling down and they don't want to hear that because they want to point the fingers at the employees. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, your employees may be sucking and they may not be doing their job. They may, you know, whatever, but trickle it back again. Why? And whether it's intentional or not, when you're put into a leadership role, you know, yes, you have the authority, but it goes beyond that. You have the responsibility to be able to inspire these people to do a good job, not just tell them. So I, mean, I typically see um, on your C-suite, they blame the owner, the, the top person. Yeah. That, that's who the problem is. But I come back and I challenge them with this. No, you guys are the ones that develop the rules. So why do you have this problem? You tell me. Yeah. And a lot <laughs> yeah, of times they I probably don't know. The blame game. <laughs> yep. And nobody, well, nobody wants to admit that, you know, they're partially the blame. It's easier to blame somebody else. And, you know, it's, it's, and that's the reason I really like, um, doing like leadership trainings and team building exercises, it really starts to break down those barriers of authority to where it allows people to be more open to come and give them the whys, you know, to be able to open up to tell them what the problems are. Because if it's a hidden problem, you're not, it's going to be hard to fix. But if it's out in the open exactly. and it's something that's going to be discussed, you can come up with a solution much more quickly. That's why I think that I like the the role of consulting, because at least when you're consulting, they know they have a problem and they're calling you and saying, can you help me versus you trying to convince them they have a problem. <laughs> so from your expertise, if, if, if we've got some people in leadership um, or even manufacturing that are listening right now, what are some takeaways that you can give them from just your experience of things that you've seen where they can help kind of pull apart all the problems they may be having with a few simple solutions. Do you have anything to give them? I think the first step is to look at yourself. Always look at yourself and say, what have I done and what can I do differently? Those are huge to me because 
that's the only way you're going to know where you're going to go anyways, is what can you do differently? And if you're not willing to make the change, there's nobody else on your team that's going to make a change either. And I think, honestly, that's the only two takeaways I would think that anybody needs because that's where it starts. If you're not going to take a leap, no one else will. Absolutely. And that's, I, I think that's great. Now, if anybody that's listening wants to get a hold of you and try to find out more about, you know, what you're doing with coaching and your consulting business that you're, you're kicking off, um, where would they reach you? Where's the best place to reach you? Well, right now I have a blog and I also do Instagram. Our Instagram is the Kelcoop, T-H-E-C-A-L-E-C-O-O-P. And that is because my poor husband is the only rooster in the house with a bunch of hens. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure he could talk all yeah I'm sure he could talk all day long about the the joy of that I'm sure that's pretty fun <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that's funny. So that's what we do on Instagram right now and then I am going to start focusing more towards that my goal is to be consulting at least 50 percent of my um, time probably by this time next year that's awesome. That's a great goal. And I'll make sure for all our listeners, I will have um, the links to her blog and her Instagram account listed in the show notes. And Robin, I really enjoyed having you on today and um, we'll check back in the future. I like to check up with my guests here and there, and maybe we'll check up about this time next year to see how your consulting business is going. And, you know, if you've got any other stories for us and we'll check on your poor husband, see if he survived all those, <laughs> all the, all the estrogen in the house. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you having me on. It was great to meet you and talk about all this. Oh, it's been great.